Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Local Youth Worker. I'm here with a, a couple of friends. Let's introduce ourselves. Yeah, sure. I'm Matthew Eichard, uh, pastor of students and families at Clemson Presbyterian Church. And I'm Ben Melchers. I'm a pastor of teens and families and global missions at Grace Prez Silicon Valley in Palo Alto, California. That's a title right there. It, it, well, <laughs> I just go with assistant pastor. It's a lot easier. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, so I think we were talking just a minute before we started recording. I think this is episode 408. Um, and Matthew, you've been on the podcast before. Ben, you've been on before as well. Um, right as we were about to record, I remember, Matthew, one of the first times we ever recorded was at Laguna Beach, which is where we are right now. And there was a landscaping crew that was around. What, what do you remember about that that time? Well, first I remember being like super nervous when you said podcast because <laughs> I've never really <laughs> put anything that I thought out there in the world. Yeah, I hadn't either. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I remember they were literally trimming the hedges like right outside the doors. <laughs> so yeah. kind of through both of us. Yeah. And um, as I continue to say week after week, we're at Laguna Beach for high school. This is week two. Um We've turned off all the air conditioners. I just went, went back in the room before we started recording to shut down the ice maker and the freezer because there's just so many noises here. But it's just it's kind of fitting as we're thinking about Laguna Beach and just all the noises around. I mean, as we're recording, there's a swimming pool right there. I can hear people screaming, people above us. And sometimes this doesn't pick up on the microphone, but it's just kind of it's funny as we're here recording all this. Yeah, I mean, that there are 1,500 you know, almost people just like partying <laughs> and yep. having a great last day at our, at RYM Florida too. Yep. Feet away. Yes. Um, and right before we started recording, uh, Ben, you were, <laughs> you were explaining to us, so you're in Palo Alto, California. And I, I was, again, I was walking over to, to shut down the ice maker and stuff like that. And I heard you saying, or I guess Matthew was asking how close you are to San Francisco and you were kind of giving some rules on, you don't say San Fran. Yeah, that's right. So he asked me how far outside of this like center of San Fran I am. And I said, well, first San Fran, it's the last thing you're supposed to say. It's either <laughs> the city SF or San Francisco. The easiest way to label yourself as a, as an outsider is to call it San Fran. Yeah. So and that you, was something I learned like day one of moving there. So did you say San Fran and somebody's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, yeah. I got the same talking to. Wow. Yeah. So and you never the, do it again. Why are people opposed <laughs> to San Fran? Is there any... Like, you know, reason? I don't know. I haven't heard the backstory behind it, but I think it's just always been that way. Okay. And people say, which one do you refer to the most? The city or SF? I think, yeah, the people who actually live there say like going up to the city or something like that. San Francisco is just a mouthful in sure. SF. Yeah, I mean, everybody knows what city you're talking about. So generally, I hear the city if I hear anything. Okay. Um, and if, you know, longtime listeners of the podcast know, Ben was at Charlottesville, Virginia, and has moved all the way uh, um, to Palo Alto. Um, you've been there... Over two years now. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, how's ministry going there? Um, what, what are some things you've you've learned major differences. I mean, just kind of anything that comes to mind. Yeah. Oh, man, we could have a, <laughs> a whole other podcast on that alone uh, because it's, it's so much, it's been such a gift. And 
you know, it's so sweet to be back here. I haven't been back at Laguna Beach since 2019 because COVID came 2020 and then I moved middle of 2021. So I'd been here, I think, every year since 2009, multiple times a year, most years. So it's, it's good to be back. It's good to be back in the South around people that I know and love. And yeah, it's also a fresh reminder of I, I don't live here anymore and I, I don't have so much of what these other churches have in terms of community and closeness to one another. Um, and also the context is just completely different. But uh, I love it. I love where I am. And I love that I'm going to be going back there tomorrow as much as I'd love to be right down the road from Matthew so we can hang out all the time and minister together. It's like, I love where I am. And yeah, I've, I've been telling a lot of people this week that I think as I've moved different places in my life, I learn each time there's just so much you don't know until you see something else. Like there's so much I didn't know until I moved out there in terms of the world, um, how people work, but also just myself and like my own burdens and desires for ministry. And um, yeah, I live in the most unchurched place in all of North America. And I love that. Like, I think that that scares a lot of people off or it seems like such a difficult place to be in. And in one sense it is, but I mean, the opportunity there is just, second to none in one sense. And I get to see week after week lives transformed for eternity. Like I've seen more adult baptisms and conversions there in two years than I saw in 30 years in the South combined. Like that's pretty cool. Yeah. And that that's fairly common out there. So I love it. I love where I am and I want other people to, to know about it and be encouraged because Jesus is doing amazing things in California. So. That's very cool. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, I, I just think it's really interesting, you know, because Ben and I have known each other for oof, 11 years, yeah. I guess. Um, and I think seeing, you know, Ben grow and change and obviously growing and changing myself. It, there's just so much to, you know, people are people and the gospel is the gospel. Yeah. As the Lord kind of calls us into different places to come alongside to love and, you know, and, and in the pastoral capacity to lead and to shepherd, um, knowing that, yeah, context changes, um, but the Lord, as he calls, gives you a deep love for the place, for the individuals of that place. And I think in, in many ways it does become home. Hmm. And it's something that you begin to long for and lean into. And that's really, truly beautiful. And something I love, even though I've been in my particular context for quite a while now. Yeah. Um, so look, let's, uh, let's talk about our electives. Um, but before we do that, let, let's take a quick break. Hey everybody, just a reminder about RYM's uh, newest resource, social media pressure, finding peace alongside Jesus. Um, there's still a chance for the discount through New Growth Press. If you go to newgrowthpress.com and enter RYM30, uh, you can get 30% off this resource for just the next couple of weeks. So be sure to go to newgrowthpress.com, check out uh, Social Media Pressure, RYM30, to get 30% off. All right, so I'm back with, with Matthew and Ben. Um, and as I say, you know, with these podcasts sometimes, some of these are just totally selfish. And this is kind of one of those where... I'm just using this podcast as a platform to just get to catch up with some of my friends. Um, 
Matthew, why don't you tell us uh, your title of your elective, and then we'll just kind of ask you some questions about that. Sure, yeah. So this week, I've been looking really at what does God call us to in terms of biblical, healthy decision-making as his people. So the title of the elective has been, Where Do I Go From Here? Making Confident Decisions uh, in a Confusing World. All right. Um, So... Uh, you know, one, one thing I like to ask uh, as you're preparing for this elective and you're kind of thinking through, you know, what you're going to be talking about, but what are some of the things that surprised you about this topic? Uh, anything that you were preparing for and then all of a sudden you're thinking, you know what, I hadn't really thought about this. Um, what, what has the Lord taught you through it? Yes, yeah, that's, that's a fantastic question. I would say that in, you know, the years that I've been doing youth ministry, One of the most common questions that I will get from students and many times from parents is sort of what what are the next steps? What does God want for me now and kind of in in the future? And obviously, as students start to bear down on college and what that can look like or not look like. um, So kind of the, the God's will question comes up a lot. But one of the things as I was preparing for this week in particular was was really just reflecting on, even in my own lifetime, so I'm kind of closing in on 40, how much more information, how many more opportunities, additional opportunities may not actually be available to us, but, but we feel like we have to sort of wrap our hands or our minds around everything or understand all of the options before we can even sort of take a first step. Mm-hmm. And so I think just kind of the, the the crippling nature of all that additional information that's at our fingertips, literally. Um, and then the other thing that fed into that, it was really closely related to it, was how quickly information moves in our world. Mm. Um, and so sometimes I think we, we find ourselves, myself included, that we, we not only have to gather all the information, but we have to do it today. And, and kind of almost make knee-jerk reactions um, because we see information moving that quickly in our world. Yeah, no, that, that's good. Um, ben, I don't want to put you on the spot, but as I'm thinking about decisions, and I'm thinking you're in Palo Alto, California, and I know, uh, again, if people have been listening to the podcast for a while, and I think one of the things we talked about when you are on the podcast is just the pressure and the busyness of students and in your neck of the woods, how do you see kind of some of what, what Matthew was just saying about decisions and those kind of pressures? When you hear that and you just kind of filter it through your grid and your context, what are some thoughts that you have in relationship to that? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I love what Matthew was saying earlier. Is that people are people everywhere, and that's, that's true even in Palo Alto. Um, it feels very similar in one sense to a lot of the other places I've been where pressure is really high to succeed at everything. Because, I mean, that's just the American dream and culture everywhere. But I do think where I am, like, everything's dialed up just, like, a little bit further. Because, I mean, my kids are are growing up in the shadow of Stanford. It's the most selective school in the world in one sense and one of the best best schools in the world. It's uh, in the shadow of Facebook and Apple and Google and Tesla and all these places where you literally have to be the best in the world at what you do to work there. Mm-hmm. So those are my kids' parents. And it's so hard to live in that shadow and to, to try and meet, I think most of the time, an, an unspoken expectation in one sense, but you can't help but feel that way. It's like my, 
Mom is the, the head of this department at Stanford Hospital, and my dad is regularly on the Supreme Court over here, and it's just like, how can you not feel the pressure to succeed? And yeah, for a while, that area was one of the highest teen suicide rates in the country. Uh, there's a, a train system that goes all the way up and down the bay from San Francisco to San Jose, and kids were regularly just stepping on the tracks in front of these trains oh. in their lives. And, and by God's grace, and thankfully, like oh, the schools have made all sorts of changes that have, have lowered that number a lot, which is awesome. But it's still like so deeply rooted in the place that we are. And um, yeah, uh, paralyzed by choices, I think, is such a great way to, to put it. Because in this age that we live in, not only are you told you can do or be whatever you want to be, but you get windows into all of those things as well through media and communication and all the stuff that we have. It's like you get to actually taste and get a glimpse of all those things. And most of the time they're presenting their, their best foot forward to you. Mm -hmm. So they all look like good options. And it's really difficult to have a bunch of good options. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, all my kids, I think the kind of unspoken expectation is you either go to Stanford or you go to an Ivy or you settle for like a UC school, which are still like the best schools <laughs> in the public school system. So yeah, it's, it's a, a pretty brutal place to be a kid mm. without the hope of Jesus for sure. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. We could just totally uh, go in that direction and camp out with, with that context. And I just have to quick side note, there are bugs like flying all around us while we're talking. <laughs> it's like multiple bugs. I know they've literally <laughs> like bumped in my face a few times. So I just have to acknowledge that. Uh, distraction. <laughs> um, Matthew, uh, so look, we get three days to teach here for those who don't uh, come to RYM. They're not sure how it's kind of broken up. Kind of your three days, how you talk about decisions. Why don't you just break that down for us a little bit? Yeah, so day one uh, for us was really talking about kind of the foundation of our decisions. Um, and that, that kind of was both what what do we learn biblically, but also how does our culture play into that? Um, and so we talked about uh, really kind of viewing yourself as the focus or the foundation of your decisions, where you kind of say things like, I really get to be completely self-sufficient or I have to be self-sufficient. Um, I need to follow my heart, listening to my inner voice. I need to be super authentic, right? So many of these messages that we hear, and, and really we love to believe that. I think that's a that's kind of a um, a cosmic lie, even mm -hmm. kind of coming all the way back to Adam and Eve. Um, and then we talked about, well, maybe the self-focused approach is better if we really look at what culture is emphasizing, or the the loudest or largest group is 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 preaching, if you will. Um, so I have to work to be dependent upon them to find what I need in them, uh, to listen to their voice and to find identity in their perspective. And again, we talked about how that's very dangerous and ultimately uh, unbiblical because it releases us from the God-given authority that we're really meant to live under. And so that was kind of that third focus we looked at day one, um, really our, our God-focused decisions, uh, dependent upon him, looking to the sufficiency of Christ, obviously trusting the testimony of his word, and finding the meaning of our identity, of truth, morality in him. Uh, day two was really then about what tools has God given us um, in the decision-making process? 
So we spent a lot of time obviously looking toward the reliability, the necessity, the sufficiency uh, of Scripture, um, talking about how the Lord in his goodness, even in a broken world, has still given us authorities in the home, in the church, even in a uh, government that help guide the decision-making process and really should help guide the decision-making process. And then we also looked at really God's overarching purpose for our lives um, and kind of used the constant phrase of his glory and our good, um, constant growth and change into the likeness of Christ. Uh, and then day three, uh, which was this morning, uh, we talked about, okay, what about when I feel a heavy uncertainty after having made a decision? Or worse yet, I know that I've made the wrong decision. I know that I have actually stepped out of God's prescription into a place of sin, rebellion, and disobedience. That's where we talked to really drill down today. Of it's, it's good and healthy to reconsider if you think that there's been kind of a mistake, but also embrace the gifts of repentance, forgiveness, reconciliation, redemption, uh, and believing that those things are true for us and good for us, healthy for us in Christ. So that was kind of the, the three days that we laid out with a lot of application sure. kind of tagged onto the end of each day too. Hmm. No, that sounds so good. And, and I don't know exactly, you know, how your class was structured. I mean, that's something we've talked about is the, the one of the negatives of teaching, of teaching an elective is that we don't get to sit on, on each other's. And it's like, I'd love to hear, hear yours, but I don't know if you've had time for Q and A at the end. If you've had students who come up afterwards, typically after you teach, a student's going to come up afterwards. Have you gotten any questions from students um, that, that you're able to share? Um, any thoughts yeah, from other students? Yeah, um, I, I think that there, you know, again, were a lot of students kind of in that place of feeling um, almost sort of handcuffed in the decision-making process of, of just feeling like because they couldn't understand every variable or every option, because they couldn't see every potential, you know, future consequence of any given decision, um, that, that, that there really was just a, a high sense of uncertainty from the students as they asked their questions. Um, I thought it was pretty telling too, and um, I can't remember if it was a young man or a young woman, but there was a question of sort of, what do I do when God's word and what I know to be right and wrong don't agree? And I thought it was very telling that in, you know, at least this particular student's mind, that somehow morality and scripture were separate, that they weren't the same thing. Um, and, I, you know, I, there was an encouragement to try to direct, you know, that particular individual. And I'm sure others who were thinking the same way toward really seeing those as one and the same, that scripture gives us. God's character and God's character obviously serves then as our basis and our understanding of morality. Um, so just thinking about, you know, even those students are only 20, you know, 25 years younger than me, that, that there really is a very different worldview, a very different culture that they're growing up in that I think was even true kind of in the late 80s, early 90s world that, that, that I grew up in. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's interesting um, for sure. Ben, I want to have some time to talk about your elective too. Um, so why don't you give us the title of your elective and then we'll kind of dig into some of the, the structure of your elective as well. I do want to 
throw a little dig at Matthew real Please quick do. before I do. It's like you said, <laughs> 80s and 90s, as if it weren't that long ago. But that was a while ago. The 90s were, hey, the 90s were 30 years ago. Yeah. And I've recently yeah. realized that myself. And I'm right there with you. But I'm like, okay, that, that, that was a while ago. To, to put it that way. Look, I'm the oldest one on this podcast. Yeah. So both of you just need to We are closer. Yeah. Somebody told me recently, we're closer to 2050 than we are to 1990. So, wow, okay. I know. Anyway, that's all the just, time we have for wanna, today. Let's just go ahead and yeah. close this out. <laughs> just wanted to throw that out there. We're gonna take a cold Just shower. kidding. Anyway, uh, so my my elective was called uh, "Grief and Suffering: The Gifts No One Asked For." Because uh, yeah, I mean, Philippians talks about God kind of gives His people two gifts: one, the gift of belief, and then also the gift of suffering. Mm-hmm. And I think we can very easily see how faith salvation those things are sweet gifts that we should long for but that second one is is included in that same statement of this is a gift from the lord for his glory and suffering is one of them um so yeah i wanted to really kind of unpack that question of how can grief and suffering actually be a gift from the lord because if they're gifts it Every time it's something you want to return and get your money back. And you're like, I don't want this. So I'm going to take it back to the store, get something I actually want. Uh, so the kind of outline we went through. Uh, so the day day one, we're looking at a book. I don't know how many people spend a ton of time in, but we're looking at the book of Habakkuk, which has been one of my favorite uh, books over the past few years because it starts with just this crying out to God of where are you? What are you doing? Why are you letting this happen? How long is this going to last? And so it was really kind of this invitation uh, to bring those things to the Lord. It's like whatever those things may be in your life, bring them to him. Um, And so the book starts that way. And then I love that the Lord's response to Habakkuk where he says, you wouldn't even believe what I'm going to be doing, even if I told you. You would not even believe. and the immediate context of that is like Babylon is coming and I'm letting them come. Um, but then to see all the, the redemption that is in store after that is Persia comes and Cyrus frees Israel and sends them back home with money to rebuild. And then like, Greece comes and establishes this national or a uh, common language. And then Rome comes after that and they establish peace and road systems and globalization happens for, like the first time ever. And it's that world that Jesus is born into, which is ripe for the message of Jesus, who is the ultimate, you wouldn't even believe what I was doing if I told you. Like the cross, his people, his disciples followed him for years, and he told them so many times, and they still didn't believe he had come to die. So that was kind of day one. It's like these places that we are just so angry and confused and doubting God's presence in, like how do we actually bring those to him? And what does he do with them? And I love how Habakkuk ends because it ends with this song. It's, it's Habakkuk singing. He says, basically, if there's no food in my belly, if there is no peace in my land, if there's no cattle in the stalls or whatever, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. And so it's this beautiful movement in just three chapters from this like agony and despair into yet I will rejoice regardless of my circumstances. So that's where we were day one. And then day two was kind of answering this question of, okay, if I bring it to God, how do I know he actually cares? How do I know he actually understands? And so we looked at John 11, which is the famous passage of Jesus and Lazarus, and how even though Jesus knows the end of the story better than anybody, that he's about to bring Lazarus back from the dead, he weeps. 
He weeps over the brokenness of the world. He weeps that these three people that he loves are experiencing the pain of death and sin, and it breaks his heart. Um, But he offers his tears, he offers truth, but then he offers something that none of us can offer our kids, which is the power to do something. Um, the power over sin and death itself. Um, so that was that was day two, and then this morning uh, we kind of ended with this this question of so what like what what are we waiting for? Why hasn't Jesus come back now? Um, why does he let us stay in this place that is so broken and difficult and hard? Uh, so we looked at Revelation twenty one, which talks about that one day, someday Christ will come again and he'll make all things new. And he himself, Jesus himself, will be so close to us, he can wipe the mm-hmm. tears away from our eyes as death is eradicated, as crying and mourning and pain, all these things are no more. Um, but that day isn't today. And so uh, what do we do in the meantime? Um, and why, why hasn't he come back yet? Uh, and so I'm going to go ahead and answer your follow-up question that you yeah. asked Matthew of like, what did I learn yeah, I uh, as I was preparing this? And I think the biggest thing that I uh, was struck by and wrestled with, and you know, this happens every time I teach. It's like I'm being preached to <laughs> myself as I prepare, and it's so humbling every time. Um, but yeah, this time I think it was like one of the ways – that Jesus cares for us in our grief and in our suffering is to give us this gift of getting to share those stories with other people and see them redeemed. And so my story, very long story short, like my story of faith starts with my best friend dying right next to me on a mission trip. Like the darkest, most hopeless thing that has ever happened to me. And yet it, it has become far and away the most beautiful example of God's grace and power over death itself um, in my life and truly dozens, if not hundreds of other people. And to get to share that story time and time again, and to see it touch people that they can relate to it in this way that I could never offer that if I hadn't gone through it. And it is a gift to me. It's a part of the Lord's care for me to be able to see those stories redeemed. And I told those, those kids in there, it's like, guys, there's no doubt in my mind that you will suffer. If you haven't suffered yet, it's coming. And I, I hope you suffer because Jesus shows himself in those places more than anywhere else. And then one day you will have the gift of being able to meet somebody else in their grief and suffering and to share tears with them. And it, like, I, I meant it when I said this morning, I was like, I'm so sad this is over because mm-hmm. this is such a gift to me to be able to, to mm-hmm. talk about these things. So... Man, I mean, thank you for for being there this week to to share this with students and to to share something so vulnerable. Um, Please please feel like you can decline this, but I mean, would you like to just share briefly what what happened? I mean, you don't have to get into detail, but just for our listeners, the story that you're talking about with your friend. With my friend, yeah. Yeah. So... um... I'll try and give the the short version. Um, Use as much detail as you want. Don't feel like you have to. So when I was 15, this is after the freshman year of high school for me, summer after freshman year, um, I signed up to go on a missions trip to Mexico with my church. uh, And my best friend Austin had also signed up to go, which is one of the big reasons I signed up. Um, To contrast kind of where the two of us were faith-wise, Austin, as a 15-year-old, was going because he was wrestling with a call to ministry and maybe even missions, and he wanted to, to get this experience to see if this might be 
indeed what the Lord is calling them to as a 15-year-old. And I secretly wanted nothing to do with Jesus. Mm. He was an inconvenience to me at that point. I just assumed I'd live till I was 90, so I had plenty of time to figure it out later. And I'd start caring about Jesus when I was old and boring and had nothing else better to do. Um, so I was going because my friends were going and because I wanted to travel and have an experience. Um, so that's where we were. Uh, but on the second day that we were down there, um, it was a Sunday, and we, we went to church with the church we were uh, working alongside that week. And afterwards, went out uh, to the beach because this was in a place called Zihuatanejo, Mexico. And uh, it's the southwest corner of Mexico, so on the Pacific. And I grew up in South Carolina, and the waves there are like three feet tall at best, unless there's a hurricane, and then they're like five feet tall. Um, but here, the waves were just big, beautiful rolling waves, like 10 feet tall, and we were just having a blast playing out in the water afterwards. Uh, so I was out there with my friend Austin and another friend Chandler. And um, out of nowhere, these three huge waves came one after the other. And the first one hit me and threw me into the ocean floor, knocked the breath out of my lungs, completely overpowered me. Uh, so I started to try and paddle back up to the surface. But then the second wave hit, same thing, threw me into the, the ocean floor, spun me around, um, really just completely overpowered me. I think the, the best way I can describe it is it, it felt like I was in a washing machine just being tossed every direction, didn't know which way was up at that point. So it really started to panic. Um, and then the third wave hit. And at that point, I thought, this is it. Like, mm. I have no idea how many other waves are coming. I'm completely out of breath. I don't know which way is up. I'm about to die. Um, and so obviously made it back up to the surface. But uh Scrambled back to the beach, exhausted and scared. And uh, when I got there, I turned around and Chandler was right behind me, but Austin was not. Um, and fast forwarding a little bit, we we found his body a couple days later and he had fractured his skull from the impact of the wave on the ocean floor. So we, we hope and pray that he died instantly um, and that he didn't suffer or drown or anything like that. But anyway... I, uh, I went back, or as this is kind of all sinking in, in my, my head and my heart, I just kind of collapse on the beach and I start sobbing and I'm cursing God in my head saying, you cannot be real, you cannot be good, you cannot be powerful. And if you are real in the first place, I want nothing to do with you because you just let my best friend die on a missions trip. Um, but as I was, was sitting there, sobbing there's this this young woman at the church uh, that we were down there serving and uh, she saw me and came over and she sat in front of me and she didn't really speak much English but in her broken English as she was laying her hands on my shoulders looking me dead in the eye and I don't know her name I can so vivid, vividly picture her face though uh, and she told me that the ocean is strong but my God is stronger mm. and you know like I didn't believe it for a second at the time, but those words took root somewhere. And I began to see that play out over the coming hours even, and days and weeks and months. As the rest of our time there, uh, our team kept talking about this hope that we had in death, that this wasn't the end of Austin's story, that in fact it was really the beginning, that he was more fully alive than he had ever been before at the face of Jesus. 
Uh, and so these people who had helped in the search and recovery of his body, um, these government officials that were involved, all this stuff, people kept asking us, like, what is this hope that you have? Um, and so we got to share that hope with people. And, and there were eight people who gave their life to Jesus mm. that week because of Austin's death. Um, so anyway, fast forwarding a bunch. Eventually, my life was saved in the same way as the Lord showed me that he could redeem even the darkest moment of my life. Um, and so I was telling this story on the first day uh, because there was just the coolest story that came um, about a year ago. I was, I was talking to my landlady in Palo Alto, who's this like 90-year-old woman who's very open about her rejection of, of Jesus and the gospel. Uh, but we have this sweet friendship and we, we get lunch every month or two and at one point, we were just sharing stories of how we got to where we were. Um, and as I'm telling the story of Austin, she starts sobbing. And I'm like, it's, it's a sad story, but like, <laughs> there must be something else going on here. And so um, afterwards, she told me two things. One, that uh, about 15 years ago, she lost her own daughter. And she said that was the moment she lost any faith that she had, um, that there could be a good God. And she's still in that place. Uh, but then she told me that, and I'm not making this up, so crazy. Um, she and her husband have traveled to basically every country in the world that you can travel to. But there was one place that her family went every year, and it was the Watanejo, Mexico, to the beach where Austin died. Mm. And <laughs> she's telling me this. I just start weeping because I'm like, 15 years later, he's still using that story. Mm. Thousands of miles away. And it was, it's how I kind of ended my first talk. It's like, you would not even believe what he's going to do if he told you. Like, if he had told me that on the beach that day, it's like, oh, you're going to be a pastor, and you're going to be in California, and you're going to have this 90-year-old landlady that's going to, like, be intimately touched by this story. It's like, I would not have believed that for a second. But I got to, to experience it firsthand, and it's a gift. So, again, that was... There's not really a short version, but there you go. Well, thank you for sharing that because I know that's not easy. Um, but, but thank you, too, just again, to, to be here at RYM this week and to share that with students. And like you said, the Lord using this story in this 90-year-old woman's life, who knows the students that are here this week and how the Lord's going to use that. Um, I am just curious, I mean, from that story, but then also just this week, as students have come up to you, have asked questions, just any um, any stories you can share from students or questions that you've had? Yeah, I mean, it was, again, just, it was such a gift. It was, it was heavy but beautiful, I think, is how I would describe it. Because I had a lot of kids come talk to me afterwards who just shared the heaviest things. And like, there, there are a couple kids, one girl in particular, I'm like, I don't know how any adult could handle all that she's having to handle. And she's 15. And yet she has this beautiful faith. And I love what she said. She was telling me about her friends. She's like, how do I, how do I tell them about the hope that I have? And she said, I thought it was so profound. It's like, they've never had to go looking for hope. I've had to look for it every day. And I've found it. And I want them to find it too. So you know, I've been crying every day this week. Um, but I was just, it was such a gift to, to hear those stories. Um, and other questions like, how long were you angry at God? Because I'm still angry and I don't know how long. 
I should be. Um, what do I do with that? Stuff like that. And um, yeah, I've, it was, it was, I mean, I've been at RYM for <laughs> so many years, but those two hours every morning are top of the list for me in terms of my, my sweetest moments at RYM. So yeah, I mean, there's, there's a ton of other stories or questions I could share, but those were, were some of the ones that really, I think will stick with me for a while. And I'll say for your encouragement, uh, numerous students from my own church would come and talk about how they were deeply impacted by what you shared and how the Lord used his word and, and obviously your own personal testimony in their lives. And I think it just kind of adds the layer, right, to, to even the student that's not asking the questions that maybe is not personally engaging with you and maybe not, in a sense, even sharing anything in particular with, with his or her leaders, just how the Lord is continually sowing uh, and, and, and doing his work in the lives of young people uh, here in this context and obviously um, in our churches in, in homes. It's just such a beautiful thing uh, to see how that work continues. Yeah, absolutely. Um, look, this is like an abrupt stop, but I know dinner's about to be over with, and you guys have a group here. You guys have been teaching all day. Um, it's so awesome just to be able to kind of, throughout the chaos of the week, just to be able to stop and to talk with you guys, to hear what you guys are teaching, to hear you're able to share, I mean, just intimate, difficult, challenging um, things that the Lord has, has taught you guys. So it's always an encouragement for me to, to just know you guys personally and to know that you're investing continually in the lives of students. So thank you for doing that, uh, where you are in your context, but then also coming here to RYM to do that. And thank you for, for taking the time to be on the podcast today. Absolutely. Yeah. Come and buy without money. Oh, come and feast without